Hi, it's Dr. Weitz. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Private Medical Practice Academy. One of the questions that I'm frequently asked is whether physicians should join a provider network. Obviously, if you sign an individual contract with an insurance company, then you're going to be part of their provider network. But that's not actually what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whether you should join a provider network like an IPA, a CIN, or a PHO. First, let's get the alphabet soup mumbo-jumbo out of the way. IPA stands for Independent Practice Association. CIN stands for Clinically Integrated Network, and PHO stands for Physician Hospital Organization. They may have different names, but fundamentally, they serve the same purpose. Depending where you live, you may have one or more of these entities available for you to join. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the things that you'll want to know when you're considering if you should sign up for one of these networks. When you sign up, you're joining a network, just like when you sign an individual contract. The difference here is that by joining an IPA, a CIN, or a PHO network, you are no longer directly negotiating with the insurance company. Instead, the network negotiates a master contract with each insurance company on behalf of their members. Different networks may contract with different insurance companies. So in other words, for example, Provider Network 1 may have master contracts with Blue Cross and Humana, while Provider Network 2 may have contracts with Cigna and United. Sometimes the Provider Networks have overlapping contracts. In that case, Network Number 1 and Network Number 2 might both have a contract with Blue Cross. You'll want to understand what provider networks are available where you are and what insurance contracts they actually have. Needless to say, you'll need to know your payer mix so that you can identify any insurance companies that aren't part of a provider network that you're interested in joining. As a physician participating in one of these networks, you'll be paid according to the provider network's master contracts. I also want to be clear that you can see patients outside of the insurers contracted through the provider network. You don't have to limit your practice to only patients within the network. So to start with, let's talk about IPAs and how they operate. IPAs are loosely formed alliances among physicians. While they can include other entities like hospitals, they're primarily focused on independent private practicing physicians. The intent of IPAs is for physicians to work together, but not to merge into a single provider number. In general, the main purpose for forming an IPA is for payer contracting. In the old days, when managed care was in its infancy, the reimbursement structure was based on managing large blocks of populations, usually through a capitated arrangement. Basically, with capitation, an IPA was paid a certain number of dollars per covered life, and if the IPA spent less than they received, they got to keep the money. By having a network of physicians, IPAs could often represent a cross-section of practices in contract negotiations. And because the participating practices were at risk for reimbursement based on their overall services and not the volume of service, the IPAs actually had the ability to negotiate pair contracts. The problem is that capitation isn't really the way reimbursement works today. Since sometime in the 1990s, Capitation fell out of favor, and now there are very few capitated contracts. For years, reimbursement has been fee-for-service, or, as we all know, fee-for-volume. IPAs that aren't clinically integrated can't effectively negotiate payer contracts if their participating providers aren't at risk. 
meaning that they're just paid for the volume of services performed. This is why some IPAs don't actually get you better contracted rates than you can negotiate on your own. IPAs are usually managed austerely, meaning they have minimal staff and limited capital contributions. And as a result, it really limits the benefits that they can offer you. While sometimes they offer other services like management services, group purchasing, medical malpractice insurance purchasing, in most cases, the real value is the potential for any kind of payer contracting opportunity. Now, let's talk about clinically integrated networks or CINs. And for this purpose, let me also tell you that a PHO is essentially the same thing as a clinically integrated network. As I told you, on the surface, they're similar to an IPA, but there are some key differences. The first thing is to recognize that healthcare reimbursement is changing from the fee-for-volume-based model that we all know to the value-based model. A CIN consists of a group of providers who come together to improve quality and cost efficiency in healthcare delivery. The goal of a CIN is to provide higher value to the consumer of healthcare services. They employ best practice, process improvement methodologies, and measure true costs and outcome metrics. CINs also facilitate referral optimization by matching patient needs with those providers best capable of meeting those needs. CINs can contract for services on behalf of their members. CINs also usually include a care management or care coordination infrastructure, as well as IT infrastructure that serves multiple purposes. These include the seamless transfer of clinical information between providers, think EPIC, and the measurement of both quality and cost performance metrics down to the individual provider. If you're listening to this thinking that participating in the CIN means more work for you, you're right. So why are CINs gaining popularity over IPAs? Because there's a growing demand from both payers and consumers for greater value in the healthcare industry. And that's why both government and commercial payers are moving towards that value-based reimbursement model. Now, this is where you should be thinking about MIPS, and if you missed it, check out the podcast episode on MIPS. In addition, large self-insured employers are becoming increasingly interested in the development of population health management contracts with providers. And consumers are demanding more price transparency and higher value now that there is wider use of consumer-directed health plans where they are more personally responsible for payments related to their own health care. Pause here for a reality check. Medicine is a business. No matter how many physicians want to deny this, it's undeniable. And our failure to police ourselves and not be active participants in this is at the core of why someone else is forcing it upon us. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Moving right along. IPAs can have certain limitations that you need to be aware of when you're considering whether you should join. IPAs tend to function more as a messenger rather than as an active participant. They frequently lack a business plan, the infrastructure, and the capital. One reason for this is that IPAs' only source of income is the dues they receive from participating practices. As I told you earlier, IPAs have limited contracting ability, especially now as value-based reimbursement is such a big deal. With this change, clinical integration is at the heart of being able to negotiate better contracts. In order to have clinical integration, there needs to be a significant IT investment. Without the infrastructure, 
There can't be clinical integration, so how are you going to prove that you're actually adding value? There are a growing number of CINs as well as IPAs that are trying to convert to CINs. Because of the integration component, including the need for significant capital outlay for infrastructures that's required for being part of a CIN, the transition for an IPA is easier said than done. So where does that leave you? You may have the opportunity to join one or more IPAs or CINs while remaining independent. When you join, you're going to be asked to sign a contract. I want you to know that these contracts vary widely, so you need to read the fine print. Here are some of the things you're going to want to consider before you sign on the dotted line. First, what's the organizational structure? There needs to be an effective board of directors, an experienced leadership team, and a well-qualified staff. Two, is there sound fiscal management? You don't want to join a group that doesn't manage its money well or spends more than it earns. You should ask to see the financials and have someone walk you through the budget, the profit and loss, and the long-term plans for financial success. This is especially true for IPAs. Next, you want to know whether the business operations and service match your style. You want to understand what your obligations are going to be for participating in this network. As should be obvious to you, this is particularly true for CINs because you're going to have to actually participate in clinically integrated care. Now, you also want to understand the IT requirements. Does everyone in the network use the same practice management and EMR technology? Is it mandatory? How's the infrastructure paid for? If you have to switch from your EMR to their EMR, what's involved in making that switch? And is there going to be a cost to your practice? One last piece to think about before you join one of the provider networks is whether you're comfortable giving up some of the control in exchange for perhaps reducing your risk and maybe minimizing some of the management responsibilities. There are always pros and cons. If you're more comfortable having a lot of control over which payers you contract with, negotiating your contracts, and being involved in every detail of your billing, then a provider network may not be for you. However, on the other hand, if you're more interested in providing care and would prefer to be more hands-off, then being part of a provider network may be for you. In the end, there's really not a right answer. It depends on the individual contract for either the IPA or CIN. You're going to have to do the due diligence to make sure that you're going to be gaining enough, either in terms of better contracted rates or reduced overhead, to make it worth joining one of these provider networks. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter below, and I'll be sending you tips on how to start your practice, best run your practice, grow the practice, and then ultimately be able to leverage your medical practice into multiple other businesses. I hope to see you soon.